0: Welcome to See Uncovered, a place where you'll find the stories of proven entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Ashley Henschel. Welcome to See Uncovered, created by Create Every Opportunity. Zach Sarf and I created CO and devote so much time to it because we wanted to solve a very big problem, the lack of financial literacy by high school students. We want to become the change to see in the world. The CO provides valuable advice and knowledge to students in schools across the country, knowledge we wish we had when we were in school. Our mission now is to help others create every opportunity. Today we have on Maury Tapapor, negotiation expert, award-winning faculty member at the Warren School. A highly sought out speaker and the author of Bring Yourself How to Harness the Power of Connection to Negotiate Fearlessly. Thank you, Maury, for joining us. Of course. Happy to be here. So, can we start out with your background? Who are you and what do you do?
1: Who am I and what do I do? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, today, as we speak, Mm -hmm. uh, most of my life entails teaching. I teach, uh, as you sort of mentioned in the intro, at the Wharton School. Um, I teach negotiations. I've been teaching negotiations there for almost 18 years, which is hard to believe. And at Wharton, I teach sort of at the undergraduate level, graduate level. Um, and I do a lot of my teaching actually at the Wharton School. I teach uh, for companies, corporations, nonprofits, foundations, a lot of different, variety of different organizations. Um, I work A great deal these days, and especially for probably over the last decade with a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and small business owners through the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program. Um, So important thing to say, because I myself am an entrepreneur, I've been an entrepreneur most of my career. Um, So not only do I get to teach them a subject that I love, but I also have the opportunity to connect with like-minded people and people that I have a special affinity for. Outside of that, I do some work in sports, um, not negotiations work. Uh, I do a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion work, um, athlete development and education work. So preparing them for the sort of the next chapter in their lives. Um, I sit on board seats uh, within sports. I sit on the USA track and field board, um, UMass Boston's um, sports leadership program, undergraduate sports leadership program. So I stay, more connected to sports through those sort of channels, because admittedly, I, I put out a book a few years ago and it's been, it's a negotiations book. So it's been all negotiations all the time. Um, so that's sort of taken up the biggest space in my life and everything else sort of professionally has kind of taken a little bit of a backseat.
0: What would you say sparked your passion for business?
1: You know, it's funny, Ashley, because I think a lot of the different sort of big chapters in my life have been somewhat accidental, unplanned. Mm -hmm. Um, I was planning to go to business school and had worked in public health. um, So the early part of my career and um, specifically with um, target populations who were either hard to reach or at risk. And we worked a lot with communicable diseases. So HIV AIDS in particular, And as I was getting ready, I had my sort of heart set on business school. I wanted to go back to graduate school. I was really quite excited about sort of the prospects of business school. Um, I had relegated myself to uh, medical school aspirations for a very long time, not because they were my own, but my parents wanted me to be a doctor. And when I left that behind, um, I was really actually very excited by the notion of getting my MBA and, and just business in general. I didn't at that time imagine it was going to be as an entrepreneur. Um, Got an opportunity, stumbled upon in some ways, an opportunity to launch a program statewide for the state of California. And when somebody sort of gives you, opens that kind of door for you and gives you an opportunity like that, you sort of think now or never. And you know what, I'm going to delay my plans for school. I knew I was going to go back to school if something Mm -hmm. I really wanted to do, but I deferred. So my first sort of foray into entrepreneurship um, was one where I got this opportunity and I took a chance with it and I launched my first company and yeah, and so it went. And then once you sort of, I think you become comfortable being an entrepreneur, a small business owner, it takes such a different sort of mindset and attitude to be comfortable with things like risk and change. And the notion of of doing something that's your own, for better or for worse, then it's almost impossible, I think, to try to transition back into sort of a nine to five kind of job. So I stumbled upon it and I really haven't necessarily looked back. I've taken a few jobs here and there that I think really um, served me well in actually being an entrepreneur, but my heart is here and I just enjoy everything about it.
0: You know, I was about to say, I know you talk about risk and I've experienced going out on your own. There's a lot of doubt. It comes not only from myself, but from others. How do we deal with that doubt and assuring yourself that this is the right thing?
1: How did you deal with that? Um, this is the right thing is a really hard sort of feeling to come by because, and I think as you get older, the easier it gets, but it's part of that feeling, part of that emotion is having a really strong gut instinct. And mm-hmm. I think that the gut instinct element of it is something that develops over time with experiences as much from challenges and failures and difficulties as it does with successes. So it sort of allows you to understand what feels right, right? And that's, mm-hmm. that's a really, that's not taught. That's something you sort of experience. But the whole notion of how do you then overcome some of those fears and self-doubt that sort of inner self narrative. That's, that's quite Mm. negative at times. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever get over that. Um, Yeah. Things like imposter syndrome, which is really sort of a really negative self image and believing that, you know, you get things in life because you don't necessarily deserve it, but somebody just hands it to you or, or you happen to be there and you got this opportunity and you don't attribute it to your hard work and, Um, what you've put into it, right? So Mm -hmm. the story you tell yourself is something really negative. I think, and that comes from the way we've been raised, our experiences in life. So those of us that have those challenges, I honestly can't say, I I don't think it just disappears no matter how Mm -hmm. much work you do on yourself, but it's something that you have to consistently address and consistently work on. You have to understand your own story. You have to know mm-hmm. how, how your story. You have to know how valuable you are. You have to know that despite the challenges and everything else that you face, that there's this sort of uniqueness in you that can't be matched, right? Yeah. And who's that person? How do you tell that story to everybody around you, but most specifically to yourself? Because if you can't have the confidence to look in the mirror and believe in yourself, how would you ever convince other people? So mm-hmm. It's like a lifelong, I hate to tell people, but, you know, forget high school. This is college. This is life thereafter that you have to sort of address these things. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's something that is incredibly important.
0: Speaking of telling your story, you wrote a book. Can you share what your book is about and what made you want to write?
1: So, at its core, it's a negotiations book um, because I I teach negotiations, but I teach negotiations very differently um, than most. I come from a place of sort of self-understanding and self-reflection. I come from a place that talks about negotiations, not from a place of conflict, Mm -hmm. but from a place of human connections, the opportunity to understand yourself better and to have the courage to speak your voice and to know that you always have a seat at the table And I believe that negotiations are just something that we do every day, all day. And so um, it's a subject that most people don't think they're very good at. Mm -hmm. Um, But the truth of it is that no matter what age you are, we start negotiating when we're babies, basically, right? Um, And probably better at it as toddlers than we are the rest (laughs) of our lives. But but we do it all the time. So part of this book was through stories, right? It it doesn't read like a textbook. It reads more like an autobiography. So a lot Mm -hmm. of my own story. But the stories of people that I've worked with, from athletes to entrepreneurs to my students at Wharton, that says, first of all, the challenges that you face, you're not alone. And the reason why you cha- face these challenges is largely because you get in your own way, based mm-hmm. on like what we just talked about. But when you overcome those things, hey, this is something you do all the time, and so you're you're probably really good at it. You probably have a great foundation. This book isn't there to tell you what you have to say, what you have to do. This book is there to say, understand yourself so that when you show up, you show up as your best self. Um, and that was the whole notion of making this more accessible and, and not only telling people this is so important to your life, mm-hmm. every part of your life. Um, so have the confidence and, and lean into being your most authentic self.
0: In your opinion, are there certain characteristics people have that make them good negotiators?
1: Yeah, and like I said, it's not a particular person, right? Mm-hmm. Because like when we watch movies and when we read books, there's a whole lot of sort of masculine traits that are associated with great negotiators. And I don't mean man woman, but sort of that the aggressiveness, the contentiousness, the in your face, the win lose, just take whatever I need, and it doesn't matter what everybody else gets. Mm-hmm. A real competitive sort of edge to it, right? And a lot of people feel left out of that because. Many of us don't. That's not me, right? That's not a lot of great negotiators that I know. I know some great negotiators. We've even seen great negotiators that have sort of that hard charging attitude. But then there are great negotiators, whether historical figures, whether famous people, whether they're diplomats, the average person that we find ourselves being people who really care about what other people mm-hmm. also get in the course of this conversation, right? We want to leave an impression on people. We want, We want to be kind and we want to lead with kindness and connection and empathy as opposed to that aggressive. So it's not, it's not who like those, that sort of, again, those really sort of aggressive attributes. What a great negotiator is, no matter what kind of personality you have, is somebody who, again, knows how to tell their story, right? Convincingly. Um, So has a really great sense of their own value. Um, They are people who are Incredibly curious. I mean, sort of the indelible um, level of curiosity that you're interested in people, you're interested in learning about them, you're interested in just learning. And so when you come into negotiations, the mindset that you lead with is that no matter how prepared you are, here's an opportunity to learn more about the person Mm -hmm. you're negotiating with, about the opportunity at hand. And so you have sort of a real open mind, right? Um, By nature, you're empathetic. And I think that notion of this is more than just today, even though a lot of people say, well, it's a one time thing. I'm just buying a car or I'm just, you know, going on vacation with my friends. So I'm just negotiating this one deal with a hotel or travel agent. I never think it's one time because you never know when you're going to see somebody again. And sometimes when we think we're only going to talk to a person one time, we sort of, it gives us the opportunity or the excuse to behave badly, I think. Mm -hmm. Whereas great negotiators, I think, no matter how limited seemingly the opportunity is, they think about a long-term perspective. They think Mm -hmm. about a relationship factor. They think about um, the impression that they leave on people. I think that's really important. It's sort of how you carry yourself, not just in negotiations, but in life.
0: This podcast is really geared towards young people. And I know a lot are either getting out of college or going into college. What advice do you have for those who, trying to approach the conversation of a race. I know it's a very dance around kind of conversation, but I want to hear from you, your opinion.
1: Yeah. So I teach undergraduates at the Wharton School. So this is sort of right up my alley, right? Um, yeah. A lot of them when they come into my class are actually seniors or juniors and getting ready for their first summer internships or their job first jobs. And the conversation is always about, they have been told mostly that they shouldn't ask for a higher salary when they're given sort of that first job opportunity or that first sort of contract, right? The Mm -hmm. the first offer. Um, And I always think that um, in some ways, if you just look at it from a salary perspective, that might be true, right? Especially these days, a lot of these salaries because there's so much more transparency in the types of salaries that companies give and you yourself can find out, you can go to things like Indeed and all these sites that give you information. The salary almost in some ways takes not a lesser role, but a sort of equal role to some other things, right? Because job offers usually consist of a whole compensation package, right? Mm -hmm. So vacation time and sick leave and maybe educational Um, stipends, right? So you can at some point go back to school and they'll pay for it. So what I suggest is that even if it's like your first time out of the gate, right? Your first big job, consider the entirety of that package Um, because the salary conversation may be a little bit harder to have, Mm -hmm. but all those other things May not be as difficult, right? So, and how you want to come across to any company you want to work for is first by saying, I really want to work here, right? This is a job I'm very excited about. Don't be afraid to say that because that doesn't give away your power. What it says is that we're sort of in this together, right? You want Mm -hmm. me, I want to be here. Here Here's some things that I'm wondering if you could do that would not only benefit me, but if I'm more whole, right? If I'm better for some of these things, like going back to school, or maybe you ask for some of my students come from other countries. um, So they're either exchange students or, or their families still live in let's say Singapore or London or wherever, you know, one of the things we talk about is maybe ask the company for a little bit more vacation time because Mm -hmm. you're not commuting to New York you're commuting to London. Right. So, Mm -hmm. There are other things to ask for. You should never think this is my first job. So I have no right. You always have a right. You just can't come into it thinking that this is what I deserve. And let me just focus on my salary. You come Mm -hmm. into these things saying, where do I want to be in a couple of years? What else is important to me? So that you have other points in that contract to maybe negotiate.
0: Speaking of money and contracts, as you know, we are trying to teach financial literacy What does financial literacy mean to you and how important is it now that you're off and working?
1: I think it's everything. I think that's sort of one of the reasons why I was excited to have this conversation with you today, because the earlier you know, the more it helps you, Mm -hmm. not just that time, but like throughout your life, right? Throughout any major sort of decisions that you make. Um, It's not financial literacy when people hear that, they're like, you know, it's about how much money you make or what have you. It's, It's not. Financial literacy is about freedom. And financial literacy is about having the resources and the wherewithal to be able to understand the value of money, right? The value of money in your life, but also how your decisions at any point can impact where you are and where you want to go, right? And it's, again, it doesn't mean all you think about is how much more money you make. It means what do I have to do and what do I have to put away right in my savings so that I can maybe take more vacations or I can, I love to travel. I want to do more of those things or mm-hmm. nobody else is supporting me going to college. Right. I'm doing this on my own. I paid for my own college. Right. And so you start thinking about those things. Like what does it entail to be able to do that? So it's, it shouldn't be scary. It's just the, the having the knowledge so that you can have the freedom to decide Um, And I think when you have financial issues, it's not that, you know, again, I have to keep saying this because I don't want people to think like money is everything, but having comfort and peace is everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Having sort of that notion of, oh my God, what am I going to do? I don't have a savings account. Oh my God, I just got laid off. What am I going to do? Which a lot of people dealt with in COVID. Financial literacy allows you to hopefully be able to manage even the toughest of times. Mm -hmm. Um, and really understand the benefit of things like how much you save, how much you put away, what your budget looks like. So I, And uh, of course, if you become CEOs and and go into some leadership roles, you may not be the chief financial officer of the company, but you sure as heck have to know what's going on financially with the company, right? So you're Mm -hmm. you're part of decisions. So it sort of follows you through your entire life.
0: I think that's a good point because a lot of people think, oh, I'm not going into a finance job. Oh, I'm not going to business. So I'll deal with it later. However, they don't realize the impact. When did you learn about financial literacy? Could you remember a year or was it always instilled in you?
1: Pretty early on. I've, I've worked at jobs, you know, early, early. I mean, if you really want to talk early, I mean, I was babysitting far before I should have ever been babysitting, right? I was too young to be babysitting. Same. Um, but we didn't, I didn't come from a wealthy family, right? So I sort of had to sort of find my own way and contribute and, even if it was just to support myself. And so um, when I went to high school, I worked throughout high school. um, And when I went to college, I had more jobs at any one given time than probably anybody should have had because I was paying for, for college as well. And so in that sense, I knew the value of money. I knew Mm -hmm. what it took because I came about it in a way that required time and, and diligence and, you know, I didn't want to work on the weekends. I'm waitress in college. I would have preferred being out with my friends, but I knew I couldn't. And so that was sort of the thing that said, because you support yourself, you have to work to get there, right? It's It's not just going to come by itself, right, mm-hmm. accidentally. I think it was... At the point where I experienced a lot of difficulty in my businesses, as everybody does, economy bust. This is the when dot com. This is early two thousands. We had nine eleven. We had all kinds of issues, Enron and whatnot. And so it affected a lot of small business owners, much like this pandemic has. And that's when I realized that um, oh my god, it's not going to be easy street all the time, right? This is really hard. And so, what do I do to ensure that when these things happen? I have money put away. I can still run my company. We can keep the lights on, as they would say. So I think at, at different points, the value of the of financial literacy became very clear. But that's what I said before, it's it's sometimes in the most challenging of times, it's sometimes the biggest mistake you make that makes you realize that this is why it's so important to pay attention. So in mean, different points in my life, but I, I'm still learning, to be honest yeah. with you, right?
0: Did you always want to work as a professor and a speaker or this just come about?
1: I had no idea. Um, <laughs> never dreamed of it. Probably would never have dreamt of it because I'm an introvert by nature. Um, public speaking was very scary to me. I was in business school and I sort of was convinced um, yeah. to sort of be, you know take on sort of a teaching role. And um this person sort of saw something in me that I hadn't seen in myself 18 years later, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine doing anything else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important because I get, again, a lot of my, I know this happens with high school students as well, because I I do some work with high school students, but I definitely at a college level in a place like university of Pennsylvania, where students are so competitive, many, many, many of the conversations I have is when they come to me and say, all my friends know what they want to do after graduation. I have no idea. And they're so stressed about it. And I say to them, I'm like, you know, I'm old and I still don't know, right? Like you constantly learn and and enjoy that time, right? Being mm. curious, enjoy finding those jobs that really appeal to you, but also enjoy knowing what you hate and you never want to do, right? And so I think that, that these things come to you as you sort of progress throughout your life. And it may take a very long time. I mean, a lot of people, It's it, some of the statistics are really actually mind blowing, but people who make their their greatest amount of wealth in their fifties, and they sort of, whether it's an invention, whether it's a company, I mean, that's incredible, right? Yeah. So so you have time and you have one life to live and you have the opportunity to make it everything you want, right? You have, mm-hmm. you have the opportunity to seek your purpose and what makes you happy. That is not an answer that you come about easily, at least not for somebody like me.
0: What drives you at this point of your career and what
1: are your goals for the future? What drives me? I love teaching. I love, actually, I love everything that I do so professionally, right? And that's a gift. Um, So what drives me is the notion of just feeling like my work isn't really work, right? And so what do I do to make those things possible? And how do I run my company, myself, my energy, my wherewithal to be able to do this as long as I can? But I also at some point don't wanna work as hard and I wanna sort of do less and make more money if if that makes sense to people, <laughs> largely because life is more about more than just work, right? And so no matter how much I love it, there's family, there's opportunities to spend time with friends. There's those connections in your life. There's, I love traveling. There's, so you have to carve out that space. And in order to do that, you know, I spend a lot of my time thinking about, you know, I teach. So there's not like 10 of me that I could send into different classrooms. I, it's sort of, Mm -hmm. I have to show up. So I'm spending a lot of time considering how I create opportunities that will allow me to do what I love, just not spend as much time so that I have time for other things. And that's probably the thing that, that drives me these days that takes a lot of consideration.
0: Lastly, if you could give a piece of advice to a teenager college version of yourself, what would you tell her?
1: Be courageous, be brave, find what makes you happy and fight for it and speak up, you know, find your voice. Um, the, the good thing is the sort of, as you know, I, I, See generationally the new students that I get in my class where right? I get older, they get younger, kind of thing, and a lot of sort of this this generation has a lot more courage, has a lot more sort of even ability to speak to things that they're passionate about things that whether it's politics, whether it's values whether whatever it is and that's there's something really amazing about that, and it's largely because I didn't have it um I you know, a pursued sort of medical school potentially and to be a doctor for the, you know, all the way through college. Mm -hmm. And not that I want to regret things in my life, but I wish I had told myself then that, first of all, you're not going to get disowned if you don't become a doctor, right? And is it something that you really want to do? And if not, have the courage to speak that. And if it is, then have the courage to do it the very best you can, but have courage because I just don't think I had it then. And I think that I in some ways paid the price for it later.
0: Well, thank you, Maureen, for coming on CO Uncovered. I really appreciated your amazing advice and stories and just having you on is really enjoying. So thank you again. This podcast is going to be posted two weeks for our students to listen to.
1: We enjoyed having you on. Thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's great.
0: Thanks for listening to See Uncovered. You can check out more at www.createeveryopportunity.org. Thanks again.